Life of Muhammad, peace be upon him. High Moral Qualities Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, was always very patient in adversity. He was never discouraged by adverse circumstances, nor did he permit any personal desire to get a hold over him. It has been related that his father had died before his birth, and his mother died while he was still a little child. Up to the age of eight, he was in the guardianship of his grandfather, and after the latter's death, he was taken care of by his uncle, Abu Talib, both on account of natural affection and also because he had been specially admonished in that behalf by his father, Abu Talib always watched over his nephew with care and indulgence, but his wife was not affected by these considerations to the same degree. It often happened that she would distribute something among her own children, leaving out their little cousin. If Abu Talib chanced to come into the house on such an occasion, he would find his little nephew sitting apart, a perfect picture of dignity and without a trace of sulkiness or grievance on his face. The uncle, yielding to the claims of affection and recognizing his responsibility, would run to the nephew, clasp him to his bosom and cry out, Do pay attention to this child of mine also. Do pay attention to this child of mine also. Such incidents were not uncommon, and those who were witnesses to them were unanimous in their testimony that the young Muhammad, peace be upon him, never gave any indication that he was in any way affected by them, or that he was in any sense jealous of his cousins. Later in life, when he was in a position to do so, he took upon himself the care and upbringing of two of his uncle's sons, Ali, peace be upon him, and Jafir, peace be upon him, and discharged this responsibility in the most excellent manner. The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, throughout his life had to encounter a succession of bitter experiences. He was born an orphan, his mother died while he was still a small child, and he lost his grandfather at the age of eight years. After marriage, he had to bear the loss of several children, one after the other, and then his beloved and devoted wife, Khadija, died. Some of the wives he married after Khadija's death died during his lifetime, and towards the close of his life, he had to bear the loss of his son, Ibrahim. He bore all these losses and calamities cheerfully, and none of them affected in the least degree either his high resolve or the urbanity of his disposition. His private sorrows never found vent in public, and he always met everybody with a benign countenance and treated all alike with uniform benevolence. On one occasion, he observed a woman who had lost a child, occupied in loud mourning, over her child's grave. He admonished her to be patient and to accept God's will as supreme. The woman did not know that she was being addressed by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and replied, If you had ever suffered the loss of a child as I have, you would have realized how difficult it is to be patient under such an affliction. The Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, observed, I have suffered the loss not of one, but of seven children, and passed on. Except when he referred to his own losses or misfortunes in this indirect manner, he never cared to dwell upon them, nor did he permit them in any manner to interfere with his unceasing service to mankind and his cheerful sharing of their burdens. Good morning and welcome to Saturday Morning Live. It is 10.05 on the 15th of October, bright and sunny morning here in London in our studios in Morden. Uh, you're joined by myself, Shazil Lone, and my co-presenters in the studio today, Saf Amadi and Zishan Mirza. Gentlemen, welcome. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. How are we? Well, Salam. How are things? 
All well. It's a it's a very pleasant day outside. It's uh, sort of been up and down with the weather, really, isn't it? So um, it's nice to nice to get a little bit of uh, autumn sun um, at this time of year. That's it. Last time we saw the sun, it burnt everything. <laughs> I think you know. It's, yeah, you're right. It's nice to have that balance back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I, I think it's. Um, I think uh, as opposed to everything that's sort of going on around us, indeed, um, it is nice to get a little bit of sunshine. Yeah. There we go. Always look on the bright side of life. But yeah, it's been a it's been a very busy week. I think <laughs> this week a lot has happened here, particularly in the UK. And obviously, we'll touch on that in our news roundup. Um, we are a live and interactive show, um, so do feel free to call in at any stage or message us. Or um, you can call us on o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. That's o two o eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. So feel free to call in with an opinion, a voice, um, a thought, whatever it might be, a reaction. Um, you can also get a uh, hold of us at our Twitter handle at Voice of Islam UK, all one word, or via the website at www.voiceofislam.co.uk. So, um, as regular listeners to our show will know we'll have our main topic we'll start with our news roundup of course but what we'll be touching on in the main topic today is something that was quite interesting which um zishan you had seen the influence of this and wanted to bring this up as a topic so just frame the, the topic the main topic for us today yeah thank you for that shazil so i think um with with social media and the rise of platforms like tiktok and youtube um we've seen a growing influence of um, self-help, life coaching, hmm. um, you know, and you've seen male figures uh, kind of become prominent for masculinity and, and quite similarly on the opposite side. Hmm. So I think today's topic, um, we're, we're going to talk about the connection between social media, um, role models, and some of the kind of more prominent figures you see today on the internet. Um, I think, you know, the impact on society is um, <coughs> is quite significant. Um, especially the younger generation, and I think it'll be interesting to draw parallels um, between that and um, you know what, say, a role model would have been typically mm. ten, twenty years ago. Yeah, absolutely. I think there'll be, a, and it's it's an interesting topic because especially in today's day and age, where I think what we're finding is a lot of polarized views are coming out now in reaction to some of the you know stances that society is taking, and. Some of these things are not for the best, I, I, in, in certain circumstances at least. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I think a lot of people now get their information from the internet. Um, so it's really about, you know, analyzing the impact of that and then, you know, trying to understand why people might be attracted to that kind of information. Mm. Um, so we'll, we'll explore that later. Absolutely. We look forward to breaking that down. Um, but um, let's kick off, obviously, as we normally do with our news roundup um saf what do you want to kick us off with today i mean i think uh currently <laughs> there's probably nothing that you can really ignore at the moment with british politics and mm. i think the current um uh the the current upheaval that we've sort of seen in the last 24 hours i guess um to a point we're almost becoming a little bit immune and used to um uh, a, a level of chaos <laughs> I would I, I think in the nicest possible terms uh, place this government in and um, mm. I think over the last 24 hours we've seen the loss of a chancellor we've seen a complete u-turn on some of those um, flagship uh, flagship uh, economic policies um, that this new government wanted to implement um, we've seen the return of um, 
Uh, funnily enough, a quite divisive figure uh, in the Chancellor of Jeremy Hunt. Um, although one would say, you know, sort of has a long... He's had a long, um, uh, he's had a long career with the, uh, you know, with the Conservative Party, and mm. probably seen as a sort of pair of safe hands by the large part. But I think it's very telling um, uh, with the state of the Conservative Party, the way that they've sort of, uh, the way they they've also become very binary within within the Conservative. There's this sort of centre right sort of position, um, very sort of fiscally responsible. Um, uh, very uh, conservative in the old uh, in the old fashioned sense, and this kind of Thatcherite, very pro growth, um, uh, low tax uh, sort of stance of it. A bit more libertarian, I, I guess, that is the way that you'd want to put them as. <coughs> and um, we, we've ended up with, with with someone that really divides opinion. Um, we've got the prime minister who very much divides opinion. Um, uh, polls are now sort of, I think, on average, she's down between twenty to thirty points. Um, it, it's 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 really, I, I think, from from pretty much <laughs> all accounts, uh, she'd th- there's no coming back from this. Um, and uh, there's already question marks about whether she will remain in the within the next two weeks. So, um, was it self-preservation what she did yesterday? Uh, well, of course gotcha. it was. Yeah, I mean, it has to be. I mean, you have to sort of uh, uh, apply. She, she had to do something um, because uh, the way the markets have reacted to this mini budget, and it's not stopping. It's not got any better um, yep. since the mini uh, since the mini budget came out. Um, it's 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 been on a sort <coughs> of a, a, a on a slide on so many different levels and getting so much flack um, over the last... And what she's only really... I mean, in reality, only really been in power for the last two weeks. Um, uh, we, we've sort of seen this complete descent. Um, and, uh, she, yeah, she had to do something. And I think it was a big scalp to take uh, the Chancellor. Um, he was very much aligned with her on all policies <coughs> and economic policies. So... Um, this is a big rollback for her. I think that, yeah, I mean, I think the the reality is, um, and I think it is a reasonable question to be asking is, does she have, uh, does she have the legitimacy of remaining in power? Um, yep. I think you've got on the other side, you've got most of the conservatives now asking, can we really do it again? You know, it's, it's, it's becoming, I think even for them, you know, for sort of, um, people within the party are beginning to ask. This is beginning to look like more and more of a joke on 100%. a day-to-day ba- basis. And uh, can they carry on? And a question of her mandate, like you say, the legitimacy of her power um, is a really important point in the sense that I think if you're going to have radical policies that are deviating from the original Tory mm. mani- uh, manifesto, mm. you need to be able to have some kind of electoral mandate behind that. And how the Conservative Party kind of overlooked that fact allowed her to come in with a kind of significantly different policy. And then, you know, essentially we've seen the results of that. I think it's it's all around mandate. And, you know, for, for us or, or for the general public and various kind of um, opposition uh, party members calling for a general election isn't unreasonable on that basis. But Kwasi Kwarteng absolutely is... is I mean, he's almost a victim, right? Yeah, like as in, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's kind he of, implemented what he was supposed to implement. Exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, um, and yeah, so I think it's it was Liz's, uh, Liz Truss's mini budget. You're absolutely mm, right. And mm. so it, it is, uh, I think he's just a, a victim in it. And, and then you had this sort of weird, um, uh, I don't know if you watched the press conference 
Yeah. It, yeah. it was very odd. It was like sort of lasted yeah. lasted all of eight minutes. Um, uh, I think that, uh, yeah, and, you know, she, she was, there was a point where she sort of seemed to be struggling to sort of look for the the person that she wanted her she she was actually f- looking for someone that would ask her an easy question and yep. it was the whole thing was actually very um it's very uneasy and it's uh, sort of left a very unedifying yep. sort of uh feeling it, it wasn't i mean yeah it it was it didn't look like a pleasant situation for her to be in it um I think even less so for a viewer to sort of see that happen, yeah, um, yeah. You, 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 I guess you have to put your hands up, and <laughs> you have to wonder where where, where things are going to be leading. That's the thing, and even the papers, I think, you know, that are kind of typically pro-Tory, were, <coughs> you know, asking very difficult questions in mm. that press conference. So there was, uh, you know, a Harry Cole, journalist from the Sun, yeah, and you know, they're all kind of uh, really questioning whether she's loyal to the the right wing of, of yeah. that party. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, as well, you know, she called. When, when she re- released her policies, she, her PR campaign for anybody who criticised the policy was to refer to those groups of uh, people as the anti-growth coalition. Mm, mm. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because the markets, obviously... <laughs> yeah, you've killed growth. Uh, yeah, you've killed growth. <laughs> but the markets are known for being pro-growth. Mm, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, and now we're in a scenario where you know half a trillion's been wiped off the market and it's all potentially for nothing because Jeremy mm. Hunt's now come in and announced a plan which is the completely the opposite yeah. absolutely yeah yeah so i mean and i think that's the, that's the sort of key element of it it's um you know uh one has to say i think we it's sort of almost that we're going back to rishi sunak's policies but with list truss out the helm i think um yeah I, I say this with a great sigh it's it does look like this is um uh, the conservative party have just end have just made it look like a complete this has become a circus yeah and you know there's no other way of looking at it and it's really unfortunate that Mm. that's where we are this is a great political power of this country (coughs) who have been held i think they've held office the majority of the time of the history of this country yeah and what's ended up happening is we we have a little bit of uh, not a little bit it's a circus uh act now and um, everyone's almost using it for entertainment, and that and that actually is a sad state of affairs because the credibility of this country is really coming under question. You see that in the gilt market, you see that in the FX market. Explain that, Saf, when you talk about the gilt market. So when you look at the gilt market, is actually I mean it's it's the it's it's essentially is the cost of borrowing for government or sorry not government debt but it's you know the UK debt so UK PLC if you want to call it or you know the mm-hmm. the country as a whole sovereign debt yeah has has a debt and has a um, it, that needs to be maintained and it also needs to be managed. Now, the best way of doing that is obviously, you know, when you ha- when you are fiscally responsible, when you are showing pro, you know, when you are showing growth, and I think people are more likely to lend you money. Now, at the moment, the the loss of credibility of the country has meant that more people, more foreign investors, and even in you know, like domestic investors, don't feel comfortable lending money to the government. Now, uh, or if they do want to do that, they want to be paid a higher premium for doing that. Mm. So now, if we look at the long end of, uh, so what we call is the the further the further the uh, the debt is, so the more so the longer that you will be receiving your your capital back, 
um, it's more likely you're you want to take uh, you want to be paid for the risk of giving that money. We can talk about obviously this is a, it's a haram. But 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 it is essentially that's that's the that's the essence of it. Um, and at the moment investors when they're looking at the UK do not trust it in the long term or they trust it less and as a result they want to get paid more for giving you that money now. Now that has a knock-on effect to everything because mm. essentially uh, that is the price that the government uh, can borrow money, which means that's the amount that they will... So putting that money into the system, so into the banking system, means it costs them a certain amount, so it will cost the banks a certain amount. Now that bank will now pass that on to you, and essentially what that will do is it will affect all of your day-to-day -day spending in the form of the, the cost of your mortgages will go up, the cost of borrowing will go up. Now that has obviously a detrimental effect to how we all maintain and service our debts and service our uh, our spending habits. Um, and we're seeing this across the board. So your mortgage rates right now are going to be going up as mm. a result of all of this uh, of all of this so when i say that that it's that it's a shame and it's become a circus we don't say it very lightheartedly because this is actually quite a serious matter it has real life effects on all of us um, and uh, it's going to and also you know even if you're renting it's going to have a negative effect on you because the, your landlord has to more than likely have borrowed that money to buy the property and they they're paying a mortgage if their mortgage is going up, again, they will have to pass that on to the renter. So you're seeing the rental market go up, you're seeing the mortgage market go up. On the other hand, you're also seeing the cost of doing business go up. You're also seeing uh, prices on the shelves go up. Because also now, right now, people aren't that keen on buying uh, the pound um, and you're seeing the price of the pound go down. And because we are a in an economy that doesn't really produce very much, we have to, you know, we have to buy things from other countries. So that price is going higher because we tend to buy in dollars or euros, mm. uh, other products. Petrol is an example. Or petrol oil, is right? an exa exact example. When petrol prices are coming down, at the same time, it's you know like there has been no movement in mm. uh, in the price in, in the UK the pumps, purely. Yeah, yeah because uh, because uh, so these these all have a knock on effect, which is actually why. Um, this is important. This is not just an entertainment. Now, politics is not just for the sake of entertainment. There are real life consequences of the decisions that are being made. So we do hope and pray that we can find some sort of solution. And we pray that this government does find some sort of stability in the in, in the short term. And in the long term, we have to figure out, how, um, you know, how how we can ensure that we don't end up in a similar situation in the future. So when we talk about interest, obviously you mentioned that, uh, and that's something that Islam prohibits. Mm. Uh, so in, in the Quran, the, the word that mentioned is riba, uh, the connotation of which is not identical with the word that of the word interest as commonly understood. Yeah. Riba is prohibited, prohibited because it tends to draw wealth into the hands of a small circle and restrict the exercise of beneficence towards one's fellow beings. So in the case of loans which bear interest, the lender in effect takes advantage of and makes profit from the need or distress of another. Yeah. So that, I think, is obviously the root cause of it. Mm. Um, but having said that, and what the policies that the, the Chancellor had come out with is essentially they were talking, and Liz Trust, were talking about cutting rates so we have more money in our pocket, mm. but then at the same time 
giving us more money and then sending inflation rates higher. Yeah. Yeah. And those two things compounded one another, right? Yeah, because did, yeah. the Bank of England is trying to raise interest rates and you're putting more money into you've people's got two, pockets. Yeah, you've got two opposing forces yeah. Yeah. going on at the same time. You've got someone that's saying, go and spend. And then you've got, no, calm down because, you know, like uh, the market's overheating. Um, so you you had these two opposing forces, which is why everyone sort of, you know, again, foreign investors, anyone even sort of even with the investors in general mm. will look at the UK and say, actually, we don't really know what's going on here. Mm. Um, and th- there's a problem here, which we don't know how to decipher. So the best thing to do is stay away. Yeah. And that's essentially what happened. Mm. Um, yeah. And uh, we also saw that with the pension market, you know, because you have this other, uh, we won't go into detail about that. There's this whole sort of format of how pensions are, uh, uh, cr- try and create extra wealth by lending uh, more money or borrowing more money uh, to service sort of long-term debt, which ha- had an exacerbating effect because when that unwinds, the whole thing sort of starts going into meltdown. So there was a, there's so many parts of this um, which... Which, which really have some negative effects on, on us all, um, which we do need to be careful about. Um, and as you mentioned about riba, I mean, riba in, in general, there, there, I think there is a difference between how we sort of uh, talk about interest now mm. and uh, the interest that was definitely, you know, like that was, that was um, discussed in uh, the Holy Quran and by the, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu of his time. Yeah, there is, a, I mean, there's a, there is a slight difference and, um, you know, we, we, it can be discussed in, in, in great detail um, uh, because there are some hadith, you know, like which, which sort of almost, well, they don't permit the, the, uh, how we finance ourselves nowadays, but there is an, almost an exception made, uh, you know, by the fact that there will come a point that you will not be able to run away from interest. You know, there, there's a hadith uh, along those lines where, okay. where, so essentially it says that there will come a point in our lives where, you know, that, that you can't move away from it. And we're living in that time right now because to buy a property, you need to have a mortgage nowadays. You know, like there's no, there's no uh, looking away from it. So, um, but the, the essence of it is, is that we, you know, one must have, it, it must be under control. Fiscal responsibility is actually, quite a key element of Islam and you know yeah. like look making sure that you that you do have control over um, uh, uh, no, spending within your means isn't it exactly and, and yeah, yeah. not spending your future earnings Absolutely. and what have you and I think that is where the root cause of, of a lot of problems of, of where we are now well are, I s- are essentially I mean yes I mean if you look at what was actually sort of put together it's almost like someone saying you know I'm going to start spending a lot more money Mm. Uh, at the same time, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to start working less hours, you know, yep. um, and that's essentially what I think where, where the confusion came in and why the market didn't really take it very well was it didn't really make much sense. Um, you're yep. essentially saying that, you know, we're, we're not going to be taking the income is is going to reduce. Um, but we're going to start spending more. So mm. how are you going to do this? What is yeah. your intention? It was never really, and that was, you know, where they didn't allow the OBR into it was, was, was I think, was was the probably one of the biggest mistakes that they could have made mm. um, because they didn't sort of sit there and explain how it was going to work. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think the confusion, not the confusion, but I think that's where the... Um, that's where the problem essentially yep. lay. And I think it's a good point, right, in the sense that um, Liz Truss uh, had a vision. And, uh, you know, I think it's fair to have a vision around the tax mm. and economy. That's a good thing. And, yeah. you know, you could argue that it, it might have worked. Who knows, right? Mm. But I think what she's been criticized so heavily for was that when she announced the mini budget, 
the Bank of England essentially uh, came to the rescue, mm-hmm. and then Liz Truss kind of said, "I'm going to continue on this path." Yeah, yeah. And I think so. Andrew Bailey was like, "Well, if you do, then we're not going to continue bailing you out, and mm. we'll let everything just go to pot." Yeah. So I think you know that was where the question of her incompetence mm. was raised. Was when, she, uh, and obviously Andrew Bailey has no political affiliation, you know, yep. and and so I think, and then also it, it raises the question of, you know, how much capacity is there for economic vision after COVID and Brexit? Yes. Right. So um, it, it's really really tricky because, you know, we want to put money in people's pockets, you know, or Liz wanted to put money in people's pockets and and kind of cut taxes, but we don't really have anything to kind of back that up right mm. the productivity and yeah. uh, you know we're kind of on life support right now yep. Um, yep. so I think you know it was slightly misjudged from Liz and you know I imagine when you're planning to come you know you're coming into you know you're coming into power you kind of start drawing up plans that you always wanted to execute mm. yeah. but she never really really took the environment and the climate in, into consideration and uh, now yeah sorry go exactly on. I mean th- that point you made is about planning and, and what you want to execute I, I don't say and I won't take pot shots to someone just because they have a vision and a view to get us out of something yeah. but it's just like you know for argument's sake say there's a cancer patient whose immune system is absolutely hammered at the moment and you think you need to boost their growth by giving them you know a steroid for argument's sake which levels out their system even more the timing is so so important mm, and maybe absolutely. these policies would have worked but not at this moment in time absolutely yeah. Exactly. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's that, you know, the right kind of policies, completely the wrong time um, is, you know, I think is what even people on on the slightly right wing of uh, of politics and economics would have said, you know, there, there's probably it's a, it's a very small, thin band of people mm. that actually said, oh, I think this is a really good idea. Um, and actually, if you look back on it, this was something that they really decried someone like Jeremy Corbyn over. You know, like this sort of economic incompetency, um, and yep. uh, essentially, I think they're almost introduced in a very different. In, uh, this is a lot more sort of top down, where I think Jeremy Corbyn was looking at a much more bottom up approach. Um, uh, but essentially, you're, you're, you know, and I disagree with both. Right? I'll be very frank. I, I disagree mm. with both sides of uh, of the uh, of the coin. But I I thought it is. It, they're both very economic in economically. I wouldn't say incompetent, but, you know, they were misjudged on both sides. Um, but I think it was getting, I, I think this, on uh, on this, but the way that Liz, Liz Truss has done it, um, I, I think it's it's got found out very quickly. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, I think they've also lost that credibility now. The Conservative Party in general have lost that credibility of being the party of fiscal responsibility. I think, you know, like that, that argument now yep. cannot be made. Um, and I think that is it's it's something that they're going to suffer um, in the, in the, in the general election. Over. Yeah, um, and there's been some classic fallout from this as well. So in the sense that you know, Quasi was seen with hedge fund managers, and mm. there's been questions about who's mm. if there's been any benefit from all this kind of misfortune. And so you know, that's obviously quite disheartening to read as well when you're in such an economic stress. Um, so I think yeah, we're in a really volatile position at the moment, and. You know the markets continue to react as well so you know um, yeah. i think shazil mentioned earlier as well we were reading about credit suisse um and you know it the interconnectedness is is never quite known until it all comes to an end yeah until it unravels yeah, absolutely exactly. you're right I and mean, i think the big problem in this country is going to be you could potentially see a big problem within the insurance sector because especially the pension sector because 
that was an area where um, we all sort of park our funds away thinking it's completely safe and, you know, like that's something we'll draw upon, you know, later mm. on in life. If that suddenly, if, 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 the, if the floor comes un- out from under that um, uh, uh, part of, um, you know, the economic sort of framework... Um, we could see some. I mean, that could be a, have some real devastating effects. And so, so doesn't we, that lead to hoarding and those types of things? You know, people want to hold on to assets and just you know have them as a rainy day because that's something. That well, that's we already really that's had. already been happening. I mm. think that's been happening for a while. I think that the, the issue that we've had and the, the, is the problem that we. I think we go back to this whole trickle down economics. I think one of the big. Um, I think one of the big. Uh, issues with uh with with these policies has been that you know the money was going to go to the very top and somehow it sort of filters down to the bottom you know over time and essentially we've had that we've we've actually already had that for a number of years over a decade Hmm. and what we are seeing is that uh, money just gets stuck on the top because there is a level of hoarding that's taking place from a very you know from from the very top Hmm. um people aren't willing to sort of re reinvest their money and they're sort of holding it for on for their life and now currently we see it probably you, you i think it's going to get worse mm. um because there is a concern you know people now are becoming a lot more worried you know that we start we, um, there, there's some very very senior investors that now sort of talk about cash being an asset Mm. Um, uh, you know, before it, cash, cash is not seen as an asset class. It, it was, there used to be a term, cash is trash. Yeah, you know, because you don't hold on value. to it. Yeah, it just sits there and loses yeah. value. But now people are saying, actually, hold on to it. Um, so we've right. actually almost exacerbated the whole problem even further, mm. uh, where where money gets tied up at the top. Um, I think that's look. Islam has the concept of zakat, right? So that is that redistribution it, it redistribution yeah. of wealth so you pay two and a half percent on one's cash money capital stock and tradable assets that includes jewelry gold silver etc but in reality how would you implement something like that and do islamic countries um implement that in their policies it's a wealth tax right it's, it's essentially yeah. it's, it's like a wealth tax and yeah. um it's it tries to invigorate the economy and i think there is a issue in this country that we do have a problem. For example, one of the major assets that most people own and put a lot of their money into is property. Yeah. And once money is tied up into property, it actually becomes untaxable. I mean, you'd have the stamp duty and you know like all of those kind of things at the very beginning, but once you've got once you've got it, hmm. Okay, you may earn some money on the rental of it and what have you that, but, but yeah. the actual property itself, even though it's it's you know, and yeah, we've the seen it in this value will only oh, be taxed I mean, on, on death, right? Essentially, yeah. And and, and the properties and the property prices have been going up um, in such a you know all, almost exponentially over mm. you know like over a long period of time. That creates a problem because all of the wealth is tied up in this one asset, and mm. um, which is going up exponentially, and you're not actually seeing the benefits of that. You know, so economically we're all wealthy. But um, the reality is, mm. no, we're not. We're not redistributing that in any way. Mm. So um, there is there there is a part of it which which I which I do believe I think is is very necessary. I mean, although Islam in Islam it's more about gold and silver. It talks a lot about gold and silver. You know that your your mm. the, the hoarding of gold and silver and uh, money mm. um, should be taxed. I think 
there is a there is an argument to be made that that should also extend to properties in the current current environment. Yeah. Um, and there should be some sort of tax uh, placed on that because we see a lot of wealth that's stored up in in wealth. Uh, sorry, st- a lot of uh, wealth stored up in uh, in housing, mm. um, uh, and and somehow it's not being redistributed fairly. Uh, you know, people that are earning an income get taxed. People that are, um, you know, uh, I, I think that's yeah, it's really you know people that get that earn an income. So there there is this whole concept of inheritance tax that you know like after death this all gets pushed around. But we also know at the same time there are a number of different methods and different tax you know like tax uh, tax avoidance I think it is yeah. not not, was yeah. it not tax. Uh, it's, it's not the illegal one. <laughs> yeah, evasion, <laughs> one is it? Yeah, tax evasion. Yeah. It's yep. tax avoidance measures that mm-hmm. you can put into place to to mitigate a lot of that. And um, we all use it. You know, like everyone tries to use some form of way of doing that. Um, so it's almost a concept that I don't know. Does it does it really work? And um, as we store more and more in wealth into and re- really the other thing with housing is it doesn't really have much of an economic benefit. Um, uh, yep. You know, it doesn't. It doesn't really create uh, any more wealth just yep. owning a property. So it's, it's an odd one, which, uh, which, which I think we've gone a little bit backward. I absolutely agree, and you know, I, I think I'm against kind of house being a commodity almost, you know, mm. as an investment. But I, I think I like to think about what happened in Greece a few years back, right? And mm. I like to kind of draw a parallel in the sense that. You know, if you don't invest, government is a centralized system of of civilization, right? So Mm. if you don't invest in public services, if you aren't investing in the central components of society, then eventually that central component will come for your wealth and your assets because Mm. it's a centralized way of living in a society. And so unless you support it, it's going to come for society's wealth Mm, right mm. like it it has to work that way and so that's exactly what happened in greece was you saw a lack of investment in public services uh you know an excess of consumption and credit and what did that amount to it amounted to the state turning around and saying we're going to raid your pensions yeah right so it you know i think the politicians do need to think about that and and i think that was a really really important lesson in history about the preservation of, of public services and, and assets. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Let's see how things pan out. Obviously, economically, uh, that's something like Saf mentioned, it's going to impact all of us, um, you know, and it's sometimes um, something we can't get away from in terms of, you know, the interest concept, mortgages and what have you, because uh, the way prices have gone up, I mean, you can, t- you know, I could probably, you know, how many people can actually buy a house cash outright? I just don't think it's possible anymore. Yeah, you know, those days are, are are long gone. Well, the amount of people who earn, I think, <clears throat> above a hundred thousand pounds in the country is mm. very, very low. Right. And then I think I'm reading more and more articles, uh, you know, from middle class magazines or whatever, you know, saying that actually, you know, having a hundred grand isn't that great anymore. You know, on, you know, being on a hundred grand a year, probably, you know, might not be that great anymore. You might not be able to have that kind of upper to middle class lifestyle Mm. so the question of who can actually live really comfortably or like a wealthy person you know i'm really curious to see you know it can't be many people no absolutely so i think obviously we're heading into a period now obviously winter's coming energy bills are going higher uh, and that's something everyone has to be i think a bit wary of i think as a as a as a uh, 
society i think we need to take that responsibility on yeah you know in terms of usage of what we're used to i think post pandemic i mean during covid and everything everyone was indoors right so heating was on you know electricity was there you're watching shows you need to keep yourself amused but i think now we're at that stage where you know obviously we're pretty much past through i think a lot of the the um uh, severity of covid you know yeah. even though it's still around and you know spiking here and there you hear it but i don't think we're going to lockdowns yeah i think that's where we need to tread a bit carefully about what we now do with the resources we do have i agree and you know i think there's been a lot of conversation around energy dependency mm. and you know i was i was funny enough i was listening to ed miliband talk about it and i think one of the main arguments for example against um solar wind um turbines mm. is the amount of room they take up but he was kind of arguing that, well, if you look at it statistically, wind turbines take up 0.01% of the country's farmland, yep. which is so insignificant. And then when you weigh that against the crisis that we're having for energy, yeah. the question is raised as to why there hasn't been more investment into things like that. So, you know, just like COVID, you know, and how we probably weren't prepared for a pandemic, I do see, you know, the transition to cleaner tech or you know um, cleaner energy sorry uh, to, to come out of force you know so we'll be pushed into it almost the same way we were with the pandemic and you know learning how to deal with that I think now that we're really questioning the dependency of, of energy I think it will, it will push some of the kind of agro tech climate tech things like that but then if you look at the concept of electric vehicles which are coming in now how much does it cost to charge an electric car now compared to petrol? That's a good point. It's not yeah, it's, 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 it's pursuit, it's becoming right? the same, yeah. Yeah, yeah essentially. Yeah. Uh, I mean, economically, fine. I, I get the, the uh, I mean, sorry, environmentally, I understand the concept. That's fine. But sometimes I think you look at self-preservation almost. And, you know, who now in this environment can afford an electric vehicle, which are going to be new, say, in the region of an average of, what, 15, 16K minimum, somewhere yeah. around that mark. Um, but my point is, if people are worried about their mortgages and their energy bills, are they going to think about the environment now and buy an electric vehicle? I doubt it. Whatever car you've got sitting in your garage and gets you around is the one that's going to work for the time mm, being. 100%, I agree. Um, so, yeah, it's it's very tough kind of position yeah. to be in. Um, and then, you know, even with Brexit, you know, I think after we've left the EU... We're we losing have. a lot of the regulations. <laughs> we're losing a lot of the regulations around environment um, and and some of the protections around that. So um, you know, the Conservative Party will essentially have to play catch up on policy areas around environment and climate that uh, the Euro European Union essentially had already legislated on. So yeah, okay, I mean yeah, I mean it's uh, it, it's a the concept of I think <coughs> environmental. Energy. I mean, it's, a, it's you have to go down that route. I mean, you know, like the reality is you look at now the way things are going. Um, the, the fact that we were so uh, beholden and entrenched uh, with, with certain commodities and required so much. I mean, and really, it's you're seeing the unraveling of that right now because, you know, we, we all talk about, <laughs> I mean, everyone's talking about whether we should be playing this World Cup in Qatar. But yet we're so very, very keen to sort of keep, uh, you know, Middle Eastern oil <laughs> coming yeah. in, you know, mm. in its droves. Um, I think it's been a very difficult decision whether we should be sort of having Russian gas and all of this kind of stuff at the moment. I mean, it just proves to you, you know, where we actually live in, uh, in in an environment where you can actually get energy from, you know, from natural means. Um, uh, we, we should be looking into it. Um, uh, yeah, but you're, you're right. I think in the current, uh, the way that they, everything has been become, 
Um, we just never put the infrastructure in place. It should be a wake-up call, but like you said, is it too late? Do we have to just... Are we just going to carry on doing it because it's it's the easier it's the mm. easier option? It's a great point, and um, you know I really like to explore that topic of like morality around trade, mm. right? Because mm. the India India have been really really interesting. So the British government are like heavily invested into India. Um, you know, there's parts of India that are becoming like Silicon Valley, yeah. and there's tons of UK investment going in. And then over the last like two years, we've seen India essentially. Uh, kind of move closer towards uh, Russia and buying Russian oil and as a foreign policy you know for UK foreign policy it's now created this massive kind of contradiction where we're like you know knee deep in investments and relationships and like diplomacy with India mm. um, you know we've got uh, great kind of uh, foreign policy initiatives with them as well uh, an amazing visa scheme, things like that, right? It goes on forever. The relationship is truly, truly unique. Uh, and now India has turned around, if you listen to Indian diplomats in the foreign ministry, and they're saying, you know, why wouldn't we buy oil from Russia? Mm. And, you know, we're going to continue to do that. And Europe should look at its own kind of, you know, where it purchases its oil from if it wants to criticize India. Um, and so you're you're really seeing now uh, the the oil energy dependency kind of really reveal international relations. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And it's a tiger economy. And right now, uh, you could also query some of Indian social policies. Yeah. But we can't say anything because it's essentially, it's such a big trade partner that you, you know, that it's, it's it, like you said, this there's this whole... Um, concept right now where <laughs> where it's very easy to judge others by your own standards but when it comes to trade it's also very easy to forget your own standards yeah. so um yeah no you're, you're absolutely right i think there is a morality behind it which should be discussed further but um uh, uh, it, it, it does it does pose a lot more questions than it answers yeah 100 mm. percent so we covered a lot of economy today. Obviously, that was going to be one of our main topics, you know, with all that we've seen this week in the world, in the UK in particular. Uh, any other news stories that caught your eyes, gents? Yep. So um, I, I, obviously, I think it's important to give a Russia-Ukraine update. So yep. um, obviously, going from last week, we saw the talk of nuclear weapons. Um, and, and kind of following on from that, there was a lot of analysis on what the impact would be if, if there was a nuclear war. Um, and interestingly, we saw a coup in um, Burkina Faso. And when the coup was over, the uh, the rebels who, who had like executed the coup were seen to be running around waving Russian flags. <laughs> and uh, that's the first time I've seen a, an African state uh, kind of waving Russian flags like that. Mm. Um, and, you know, it raised that um, topic of... Uh, proxy wars again to me and mm. how important um, you know that that side of international relations is so um, Russia have um, not slowed down in their invasion of Ukraine uh, they've continued Putin continues to kind of take various losses he gets heavy heavily criticized in the press for that if I'm honest I'm um, a bit skeptical about how much or how many losses Putin is taking mm. um, because I find that uh, Western media reporting on Russians is generally biased. It's quite hard mm. to find impartial mm. reporting. Yeah. Um, and uh, Ukraine uh, hasn't changed position either. So I think they still want to, uh, you know, be a member of NATO. That process is being expedited. Um, but going back to the issue of proxy wars, 
um, there's been a real alignment between Russia, China and India uh, since the war started. Um, we've seen uh, China and Russia talking about developing a reserve currency based on metals. Um, you know, we've seen, like I said before, India aligning with Russia uh, increasingly on energy consumption. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, the ruble seems to be getting stronger. Mm -hmm. um, and the rest of our markets are kind of uh, in the West are suffering. So, you know, the, the question of who is aligned with who um, and what the impact of that is, is very much ambiguous. It's not as clear cut as it used to be. And I would say that Africa is very much up for grabs in that sense when it comes to mm. proxy relationships um, and, you know, developing, uh, building allies uh, and kind of, you know, injecting your country with your neighbor's prosperity. I think, you know, Africa is very much in in the bullseye of, of China uh, and now Russia as well. I mean, China's uh, been very China's keen in the last there. 15, 20 years in particular, exactly. right? Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah, there's been like a proper proper move. You know, yeah, like I mean, so, they so. go into the infrastructure, the mm. buildings, the roads and that side. They even went into, I think, um, uh, my dad, uh, who, who frequents Tanzania very often, and fishing's one of his hobbies. Yep. He said, "Yeah, there's no fish left in the ocean. Why? Because they've allowed the Chinese to go in and you know fish farm essentially on mm. mass. Yeah. So you know, obviously, the Chinese have paid for that. Yeah. But you know, has a true value been extracted by by, by a country like uh, the Chinese? Uh, are very. I mean, they've been very astute in doing it as well because mm. they've sort of seen what's happened before." And they actually go in and they say, "Look, we're not really here for regime change. We don't we, we don't care who's in power. Yep. Yeah, um, we're willing to we're willing to deal. You know, like we're mm, willing to mm -hmm. we're, we're willing to trade. We're willing to do a deal. Um, we don't mind who's in charge. Just allow you know, like continue to allow us to do what you what think. Mm. And you know, they have essentially created uh, a few friends. We've seen it in Pakistan, for example, as well. Um, Sri Lanka." Pakistan, they own yeah, the ports exactly. there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, they, they essentially, they moved, you know, they realigned themselves. A lot of those countries have realigned themselves mm. because they've seen that there is help coming um, from there. And you're right. I think Africa, you're, I, I think everyone views Africa as this uh, untapped reserve resource yeah. and resource. Um, not just, I mean, there's human resource, there's mm. like uh, capital resources, there's also commodities, commodities minerals, yeah, you know, like, and yeah. it's, 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 it's buoyant in those places. I mean, you know, people forget that Africa, the huge, one of the, you know, the biggest continent on the world and has um, all sorts of differing, varying um, climate and aspects to it, which, uh, which make it actually, you know, essentially useful for nearly anything. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, if you tap into it properly, and I, I think you look at the way that Europe and uh, Europe, you know, in the sort of last sort of decade, sorry, last century, the way they treated Africa, you, you know, you have a right, you can understand why the Africans are <laughs> incredibly, you know, Africa in general is very skeptical about any European sort of treading on their territory. Yeah. Mm. France look, is still in there. France is still in there. And then, you know, you've got the US that came in that was willing to trade with people as long as they were someone friendly with them. Yeah. Um, and they would ensure that there was someone in fr uh, friendly with them in place. Mm. Um, now, I think, you know, as I said, I think the China have actually looked at Asia. They've sort of, you know, done what they need to in Asia. They've sort of, you know, like they've almost made everything as a sort of playground for them over there. Now they have to look at the next place. And if they, you know, if they have this view of getting to the next point, Mm. Um, in their, you know, in their sort of, I guess, in world dominance, I guess you want to put it in any other, you know, uh, 
sounds uh, <laughs> as, as as terrible as it sounds, but that is you know that is their ultimate goal. Um, it's uh, yeah. Then you look at you do have to look at uh, Africa. Yeah, I think it's funny also what you said about China. I mean, I know that I mean Chinese. The Chinese will be very uncomfortable with what's going on with Russia. Yeah. and the Ukraine right now. Um, and I think they have made it very clear they that, have, they're, yeah. that, that they're not yeah. sure with this uh, where this is going. But they also, I think they 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 see Russia as an area where, again, full of resources, full of um, full of a lot of natural resources. Something that they require, mm. and they are willing to. They're willing to do a deal. Yeah, and you know, with China, there's there's good and bad to this, right? So, uh, I I spent some time in Africa, and funnily enough, talking to some financial institutions exactly about this topic. And you know, I used to ask them. I used to say, "How do you feel about uh, you know people coming from China and Korea, and essentially you know building schools, hospitals, roads, etc." And they would often have these kind of big uh, catalog type leaflet things on their desks. And you know they would show it to me, and you know they were coming in with a plan. The Chinese were coming in with a plan. Mm. They were saying we're going to build out this infrastructure. You know this is the debt plan, and you know they didn't seem anything that nefarious about it. So it all seems very, very good in terms, you know, from an investment perspective. I'd say the bad side is that after following the financial crisis, the West became really, really strict on regs. We went through the roof on things like uh, bribery and corruption, mm. right? We we started drafting regulation left, right, and center. Whereas the Chinese are happy to continue in the act of bribery. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. and you know, unfortunately, that is something that you know some I mean, African states are still very much susceptible yeah, to. Yeah. I mean, look, I mean, that's one thing that they're willing to do outside now because they're actually going through a whole process of cleaning up their own country. Yeah. Right? I mean, you saw President Xi. I mean, he's he's done it with Alibaba, Baidu, which is why you've seen mm. sort of these stocks do really suffer. Yeah, even but, I mean, massive re- revenue generators, right? But, yeah, I mean, they're massive, but they're suffered. suffering because purely because he's just turning back and saying, right, we, you know, like you're, we're going to clean up. We need we need to look credible on a world stage. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he's, you know, again, you can sort of argue whether the rights or wrongs of it. He has a very long term mandate. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, almost one would say an an, an infinitely <laughs> long mandate yep. and uh, where he's allowed to do that. So he's not going to be he doesn't have the concern about being reelected mm. um, in place. But yeah, they, they'll do it at home. But also one would argue and I would argue that it's not much more different than uh, many of the other many of the European and Western countries that have dealt with uh, Africa in the past, that you allow them to work under their own guise of uh, what's fair and yeah. <laughs> what's fair and not. Yeah, we see. Um, that, yeah. And uh, you know, so they're so they're doing the same. I don't think that you know you can sort of hold them to any different standard and say, oh, look at what they're doing is you know yeah, is wrong yeah, because yeah, the no. reality is it's happened yeah. before. Yeah. Um, I would hope, and I think this was something that. Uh, the current Khalifa and even the previous Khalifa, uh, I think well, all Khalifas have always made a point of, is uh, we hope that Africa, the leaders of Africa, um, can find a way of uh, of ensuring that that part of that part of society is sort of traced out. You know, like that they that they that the whole uh, corruption side of uh, yeah. uh, of the world can be can be mitigated. You, so. you say that as well. And I, look that's what people normally tar mm. in Africa and, and parts of Asia with that same yeah. brush but do we not see that in Europe do we not see that yeah in we do UK? I yeah. think it's just is in it a just different guise absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's just it's just better managed I would say <laughs> better PR I yeah, guess yeah yeah. yeah 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 you're absolutely right I mean you know not again not sort of taking away the current 
government, if you look at sort of some of the schemes, some of the sort of property development schemes, and mm. you know, like so, some of the things with PPE during the COVID uh, crisis, um, some of the contracts, yeah, contracts that were given boys, right? out. You know, you, you, I think we would be very quick to jump on any other um, Asian African nation that was doing something similar. Um, we would be calling it out very quickly. Um, but yes, like you said, I think you know with a, with a little bit of legal help and wranglings, you know, anything can look pretty, pretty good. I'm not, I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think, look, in in terms of the overall situation, obviously we're, we're doing that bit on Russian Ukraine's holiness. Hazrat is currently touring the states where mosques have been opened, uh, obviously for the sake of worship of Allah the Almighty. Uh, in comments he's made in America, and he hasn't held back in saying things, His Holiness has said, unquestionably today the world teeters on the brink of disaster as nations around the world are engulfed by a ferocious storm of political, economic and social unrest. The war in Ukraine has been raging for months and dark clouds indicating even greater turmoil and warfare are hovering ominously above us. Opposing political blocs and alliances have become progressively entrenched as the world becomes increasingly polarised. The result is that the peace and security of the world is unravelling by the day. So that's exactly the point, Zishan, that you were making about alliances, where lines are getting blurred, traditional alloys perhaps are not traditional alloys and self-preservation is kicking in yeah yeah and you know uh, it's that kind of complexity that creates the perfect kind of storm for world war Mm. I mean, th- that's definitely... Obviously, now the nuclear threat is something that's coming to the fore. And again, His Holiness touched on that as well. He said, un- until recently, threatening to unleash nuclear weapons was considered unthinkable, but now such threats are uttered on an almost daily basis. There is no doubt if a, w- a global war erupts, it will be unlike anything the world has ever seen. Surely its catastrophic and devastating consequences are far beyond our comprehension. Many countries have acquired state-of-the-art weapons that have the deadly capacity to kill thousands upon thousands of people with just one strike. It will not just be us who endure the pain and who grieve. Rather, our children and future generations will suffer for our sins and their lives will be destroyed through no fault of their own. And speaking on how future generations will perceive those who allow for nuclear warfare to take place, His Holiness said this, Undoubtedly, those innocent souls will look back at us with contempt. They will lament why their forefathers let their egos and selfish ways drive them towards destructive wars that left their future generations physically, emotionally and economically crippled. So my ardent request and message to the world is that we must set aside our differences and work tirelessly to foster peace in society so that we may save our future generations rather than, God forbid, sentence them to lives filled with nothing except misery and despair. Yep. I mean... I think nowadays you have to stand up and make these comments and I think His Holiness mm. has been at the forefront of this for for many a year and you know the old old adage that you know when when in peace prepare for war he's been warning about blocks formations and you know self-interest going above the greater good and, and the greater good of a society and I think that's what we're seeing now unfortunately yeah, yeah. Um, and it really emphasizes the role of uh, de-escalation and how uh, difficult it is to achieve that um, you know, you really have to avoid kind of mainstream news talking points and pop talking points and really mm. strive to understand the truth. Um, you know, and I, I really empathize with diplomats at the moment. Yeah. yeah. One yeah. thing, one thing I, 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 you see a slight change here and there. Ukraine obviously has been at the forefront. And traditionally, as Muslims, we always say, OK, so, you, you know, you stood up and screamed about Ukraine. But what about, you know, Bosnia. Palestine, yeah. Bosnia and all these other places? But 
The one thing I did see this week, you know, obviously this will show my level, on BT Sport during Champions League, they were advertising that people can text in and donate for Pakistan's flood relief. Oh, wow. I would never have thought that would have happened. Even I was taken a bit back. I was like, Pakistan, really? Yeah. I mean, not that I'm saying society has changed. It, it hasn't to that level. But it is nice to see a little bit of equality coming in on certain matters here yeah. and there. Because I don't think that would have happened 10 years ago. I yeah. don't think you would have seen that. Yeah, I mean, uh, quite possibly, but it's still. Um, I think there is a slight. Uh, I mean, I, I, and we probably say it because we have our own bias, you know, like because yeah. many of we, us are from, you know, like uh, from that part of the world. I mean, you, you'd probably sort of see the same that, for example, anyone that comes from West Africa would be also saying, you know, you don't mm -hmm. follow what's going on in Burkina Faso or you don't yep. follow, you know, like with some we'll of the droughts in Ethiopia, yeah, yeah, yeah. Somalia, Absolutely. stuff like that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it took. Uh, you know, many, many years ago, uh, you know, like, well, uh, I think it was Bob Geldof that did, so, I mean, you know, those kind of things. It happens actually on a much more, uh, it happens on a much more regular basis um, than, than people talk about. So uh, I think it's fair. Um, I think, yes, Ukraine is closer to us. So that's why we, we do give it some uh, something. Um, I also feel a little bit uncomfortable with some of the uh, uh, press that goes around with it. Um, yeah. The deification sometimes of certain part, you know, like sort of like for Zelensky, for example, I think, you know, it's it, 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 it could become problematic yeah, <laughs> at yeah. some point yeah. in the thing. But um, look, I mean, yeah, I think it's it's good. It's a, it's going in the right direction. And it's really for us to make, uh, you know, it's for the general public to, to sort of ensure that we make make it known what we're what we're concerned about. Yeah, and and to give to those, uh, you know, um, places in need where humanity yeah. uh, is required. I Absolutely. think that's something where we need to look at that. And I, I know people will, you know, look at their own pockets now, and and that's the hardest time I think is to give is when you're under pressure, when when everyone's making money and you know you're flush. Yeah, it's easier to 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 give money and and what have you. But I mean, it's not just about giving money. I think that's something that. Uh, Last week, I was listening to uh, Saturday Morning Live and uh, some of the other presenters, they were touching on that topic. And sometimes it's not just about just going online, clicking a few buttons and away you go and you've done your bit. Um, I think it's about, you know, giving back to society, maybe, you know, going out and seeing people or giving your services. You see certain things. I mean, we'll talk about social media a little bit later on and why people do things. But, you know, you see people going up to someone and said, I'm paying for your shopping today. Yeah. What would you like to get? Now, I don't know if that's for hits or what it is or what the self-interest is, but at least the concept of charity. You can't always look behind the intentions mm. of people, but yeah. those are the sort of things I think, you know, impact about going out and seeing people and doing something good for them as opposed to just signing up a check, whatever that amount may yeah. be, or sending something online, is to make a difference and, you know, to see how people are doing. So yeah, let's touch on our main topic when we come back. We'll talk about role models and we'll continue that in our main topic. War. Poverty. Famine, disease, oppression by dictators, dispossessed and persecuted in Palestine, Yemen, Kashmir and Myanmar. The series of indignities that the Muslim world faces are seemingly endless. Many Muslims look at these issues and blame others for them. They blame everyone but themselves. And whilst the perpetrators of the aforementioned suffering certainly do bear a significant portion of the blame, they are not the root cause of the problems of the Muslim world. They are the exploiters of the spiritual and moral degradation of the Muslims themselves. A structure well fortified and kept in good condition is not so easy to storm, 
but one that has become dilapidated and within which rot has taken hold is far easier to overcome. Thus, a significant portion of the blame must lie with the Muslim world itself, which has become misguided and fractured, such that it is ripe for abuse. This is a bitter pill that few Muslims are willing to swallow. This condition was foretold by the Holy Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, who warned us, There will come a time upon the people when nothing will remain of Islam except its name, and nothing will remain of the Qur'an except its words. Their mosques will be splendidly furnished, but destitute of guidance. Their scholars will be the worst people under heaven. Strife will issue from them and avert to them. So it is established on the authority of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, himself, that the underlying reason for the problems faced by the Ummah is the spiritual and moral malady that has overtaken it. This sickness that has taken hold of the Ummah is the root cause of all the worldly difficulties it faces, the economic, geopolitical and indeed civilizational collapse facing Muslims everywhere. At this juncture, we have to ask ourselves, if God Almighty and His Prophet, peace be upon Him, have given us warning of our state at this time, were we not also given guidance as to the remedy? The answer, of course, is yes. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave the glad tidings that when the Muslim world was at its nadir, its lowest point, God would send a reformer and saviour. He said, I give you the glad tidings of the Mahdi, who will be raised in my Ummah at a time of digression and distress. He will fill the earth with equity and justice as it was filled with oppression and violence. Thus, it is clear that a reformer and spiritual saviour would be raised for the age in which the Muslim world would be at its greatest need. The question that naturally arises now is who would such a person be? Since the reformer is given different titles in different traditions, sometimes being called Jesus and other times being referred to as the Mahdi, would it be multiple people or only one person fulfilling all of the prophecies? Again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, has already given us the answer. He said, There is no Mahdi except Isa, Jesus. And whosoever lives from among you shall meet Isa, son of Mary, who is the Imam Mahdi, the arbiter and the judge. This collapses the possibility of the emergence of different individuals and informs us to await a single person who would act in different capacities as both the Imam Mahdi and Jesus or Isa. So it should now be clear that we, the Ummah, are both in dire need of guidance and consolidation and that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, informed us that one person would be raised who would fulfill all of these needs. The next question that arises is when this person would be raised. Again, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, gave us clear guidance, indicating that this individual would appear around the 19th century. When 1,240 years have passed, God will raise the Mahdi. With all of these emergent questions remarkably satisfied for us by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, it is clear that at this time, as the Muslim world is at its lowest ebb, we are in the age of this promised Messiah who would also be the Imam Mahdi. He would fulfill the prophecies regarding Jesus or Isa and would arise around the late 19th century in the same way as the first Jesus was sent to the Ummah of Moses as a reformer. 
the promised Messiah of this age, whose name was Mirza Ghulam Ahmad, peace be upon him, of Qadian, has already come when he was expected, making his claim in 1889. But most unfortunately for the majority of Muslims, they have yet to accept him. He was the one who was appointed in the spirit and title of Jesus and the Imam Mahdi, and he was the only claimant to this station in that expected time who lived to old age. And he fulfilled the prophecies regarding the Messiah and Mahdi during his life. Brothers and sisters in Islam, we all know that our religion, our lives, our nations, our offspring, our heritage are all under attack in various ways. Remember that none of these things can ever be restored and flourish, as they should, unless we Muslims accept the Imam that God has sent. This religion of ours was never a worldly tree, nor was the shade it afforded us crafted by worldly means. This final apex religion, which is our common heritage, was planted and watered by God himself, and likewise its reformation will not be from worldly processes, but through divine grace. So we urge you, open your hearts, reflect upon the situation of the Ummah and the need for the Messiah, and accept the person that God has appointed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Live. We're in the second part of our show. It's the 15th of October and it's 11.08 at the moment. So we've touched on um, a little bit about uh, what's happening this uh, week in uh, terms of the economics of the UK. The Chancellor, we've talked about um, the Russian crisis with Ukraine and the comments from uh, His Holiness, Hazrat the leader of the Ahmadi Muslim community. Um, and the warnings that he's given um, for society ahead. But um, we'll move on now to our main topic, uh, which we would frame it around the concept of role models and what we've seen uh, has been happening more and more so via social media. Um, before we kick off into the topic, if at any stage there is something that you want to share an opinion on, a thought perhaps, um, feel free to call us. Um, our online uh, number is 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or our Twitter handle at Voice of Islam UK. Or on the website, which is www.voiceofislam.co.uk. So on that topic, Zishan, um, let's kick off and, and tell us a little bit about this subject and where it kind of came from. Great. Thank you, Shazil. Um, yeah, so we've, um, we've discussed the news and I think... You know, social media is something, especially for our younger listeners, that they're spending a lot of time on. Mm. You've got a lot of great platforms out now that make it super efficient for you to extract information, you know, watch media, etc. And I think, you know, there's various categories. I think a lot of people, most people use social media just for kind of light entertainment. But um, we have seen social media fill vacuums. Um, and one of those vacuums, I think for me, you know, that I've witnessed has been... Um, you know, and uh, maybe kind of stemming from mental health, but uh, primarily it's been kind of self-help, life coaching, uh, kind of psychology-focused videos. Um, now, I'll, I'll name drop some characters, but I think we won't talk about them. I kind of want to talk about more the concept, the, of the contrast. Yeah, the concept of them, and then the contrast between role models today and and say ten, twenty years ago. So, I think you know. On the internet, you've got a lot of people pushing ideas around identity. Um, and, you know, these individuals are kind of focused on um, building a following. 
uh, I'd say that you know they're building a following, they're building business models on the internet, uh, and a part of that is to kind of appeal to people either via their identity, so in some cases their gender, you know, hi- kind of hyper masculine points, mm-hmm. or or you know using kind of um, materialism in some cases. So you know, saying you know you. If you if you follow me, if you're like me, you can have a Bugatti or or a Porsche. You know, you can mm. be rich, you can look great, um, and so you know you've got an emerging movement of people who are quite supportive of controversial figures like Jordan Peterson or Andrew Tate, um, and they are essentially speaking to what we believe to be um, a weakness in men generally right Mm. and they're trying to appeal to uh younger folks and they are they are appealing to younger folks and they're they're almost becoming role models to these younger folks where you know i've spoken to to some um people younger than myself and they're strongly of the view that people like you know on the internet representing kind of masculine views Mm. are correct and that's what's needed in today's society is to push back with a particular set of ideas uh, around identity or gender and it's it's creating quite a rivalry um you know between thinking um between genders as well you know uh, for Mm. example in in the tate example i know there's been a lot of pushback on the things he's saying about women and Mm. Um, women are now subsequently criticizing him as well but i think it's really really important to explore you know the roots of why somebody would want to listen to these people and you know for myself and and to talk to the point of contrast for role models i think you know for myself obviously when i was growing i'm 34 years old and so when i was growing up there was no social media in that sense to Mm. you know follow and scroll through yeah um and so role models were very much people in my real life right so it was my older cousins who i saw on the weekend it was my teachers at school um and you know if if you like to read etc then it was prominent figures in history or you know we were talking about china earlier you know xi ping i think mm-hmm. grew up in a prison and mm-hmm. you know became the the ruler of china so you know the the, the definition of role model was very much stemmed in kind of academic success or you know family values and it now seems to have shifted towards some kind of identity and you know that's linked to either like hyper masculinity or consumerism and so i think you know we just need to be conscious of that shift and i'm curious to hear what people think about how how that's occurred yeah i mean i think when we were growing up and i mean yeah um there's about 10 year age gap between myself mm. and you know south sort of in the middle of that but yeah you're right i mean you talk about real life but i mean in simple terms when i was growing up my heroes were sports heroes right so you talk about people like gary lineker or ronaldo or um rocky balboa for argument's sake is not yeah. a real person but in concept when you're a kid what do you look at when you look at here oh that's something you know that's someone like he, he does something that i like and i aspire to and what have you and you kind of buy into it but it doesn't become the ethos of your life right exactly you know it's just someone you have a liking towards i think more than anything and perhaps there are times i mean i've seen over the past where you know my elders uh you know uh people older than me you know they saw a certain footballer as an example I used to warm up in a certain way and they would do that same warm up or they try and play in that same way or dress like that and what have you but aside from that I don't think it would change the way they would think because I think role models back then were just what they were Yeah. because in concept 
a footballer is what he he's good at his skill you know that's what he's good at and that's where he excels yeah so if you're going to follow that part of him fine but do i need to listen about what his views are on politics or the way he carries it, or the way he lives his life because it's a totally different world that he lives in you know where money is there where there's more temptation etc i don't live in that world so therefore i wouldn't live by those words or that guidance perhaps he would give me so i think that's where i think it was perhaps easier mm. in, in in the time of not having social media that uh, you know you could have heroes but they were held up for what they were good at not in entirety and i think that's some of the concept um i agree and disagree slightly mm. i think um i think you're absolutely right there was there would be icons and uh heroes uh uh, there would be icons and heroes that mm. you sort of looked up to and you know that that would be from either from a sports background or you know uh, exactly you know whatever your sort of uh, whatever you followed mm. uh, there would be somewhere I think that there was an uh, there was a point in my life uh, definitely I would say sort of in my late teens early, mid 20s there was a kind of hyper masculinity that was pushed there was a kind of lad culture Mm -hmm. um around that time mm. there was the element of you know whether you um and again this is you know I'm I'm trying to be um uh, as broad as possible about this you know uh, obviously coming from a country like this there's certain uh, parts of it that were just a no no anyway because you know we were from an islamic background but you know the idea of how much, I think there was this uh, you know like drinking a lot on the weekends you know like sleeping with as many partners as you possibly could do um you know like there there there's almost seemed there was there was a time when that was almost uh, it, there was a reverence to it there was i mean you would see that played out in hip hop videos yes. those types of things you yeah. know those concepts of the way even footballers for example yeah. you know like there was uh, i remember you know certain there was a um, before the 1996 uh, Euros. Euros. Yes. You know, there was a big thing about, you know, uh, Paul Gascoigne and, you know, the, the, you know being uh, this dentist chair. So that, yeah, that there story, was a drinking game. Yeah, there was that, a drinking that, that story. And they enacted but it was the, that on but the they pitch. Were, but they were revered, revered for that, yes. not uh, criticised yes. for it. Yeah. Um, and I think there was an element of that and, it be, and that sort of stemmed into a hyper-masculinity. And there was... Uh, I remember also uh, at that time there would be a lot of um, and it was something that I, it was very um, relevant to me at the time because it, they were they were very prominent but these kind of lad magazines mm -hmm. you know and uh, no matter where you went into a WH Smith you know like you'd get these array of them and it was it was um, you know for want of a better word it was the sort of hypersexualization of women mm -hmm. on them and it was again it was uh, I would say very much pushed and this was in normal, you know, and this was, and it was, it was almost like it was a normal publication that you could buy. Yeah. There was no, be frowned upon it, yeah, yeah, it was a, there was no frown, train, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You know, there was, there was that. So we've definitely moved on a lot from that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's good. I think there is a lot of great elements that we've moved on from that. I will sometimes get concerned and I think it does come back to some of these, to some of these talking heads that they conflate not having that with a sort of weakness in men yeah because i think you can have a strength in men and a strength in understanding different the different roles of sexes yeah. and the different roles of uh, a man and woman and what their roles are and think without having to sort of 
without having to sort of put a narrative that um, you're weak if you're not like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, you're weak if you don't, um, you know, want. Um, if you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you can't meet your sexual desires, then you're weak. If you're, um, you know, if you're not doing things, yeah, you achieve your financial goals. Yeah, if you're not achieving your financial goals, and to you're your weak. Full capacity, or you yeah. haven't reached the zenith. Yeah, exactly. You know. And you're, you know, like you're unable. And that's where that's that's the part that I feel uncomfortable with. Hmm. Do I feel? I mean, I feel very uncomfortable with them in general. But some of the messaging, I think, gets lost. I think there is, I think there is some truth to some of it. But I think it's just it's packaged very ineptly and badly, and it's 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 focusing on the wrong things. Yeah, uh, 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 you know about society. But at the why moment. is that acceptable? That that is the question I'm asking. You talked about an era when you know what that's twenty years ago plus. Yeah, I, I would say right now, like the kind of Andrew Tate's, Jordan Peterson, that those kind of discussion, if they were being had in that in that time frame, yeah. they, I don't think that it would have been a. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have been outliers, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, they wouldn't right. stand out on what they heard. Yeah. yeah. So why have we gone back towards that now? What What do you think is the reasons for that? So, it's it's interesting, right? Because I think when when surfs, you know, listing those kind of uh, desires or traits, you know, that are associated mm. with masculinity, I think that's where it's kind of gone wrong, because you know we're we're followers of. Amadea, then you know when I was growing up, my beliefs are very much kind of built upon principles, mm. and so I had a very clear understanding of what the principles are, mm. and then I my role models were the people exercising those principles, yeah, right, um, and so I was kind of surrounded by it, but there's an absence of that now, so mm. people are you know seeing images on the internet and associate the word masculinity, which they attribute to themselves. Mm you know to those images then yeah right mm. and so that's for me is is the disconnect i i just think that you know it's it's very very difficult to find role models uh in in the absence of kind of you know reliable systems that um build integrity and you know youth clubs or you know, when younger kids are kind of getting together at, you know, football league on a Sunday, etc. You know, that's where qualities and role models, etc. Mm -hmm. are made. You know, they're not made by watching, you know, even if you watch great, great speakers for two hours, you know, you're not, you're not going to really benefit from that like mm. you are from real life interaction. And, um, and so I, I think it's quite simple in that, you know, f folks are going out less. Folks are interacting less, and mm. the, the substitute to that is social media. Yes. Um, and so, you know, you've, you've seen people like you know Petersons and the Tates, um, you know, fill that vacuum. Um, and then, you know, other things go into it as well. You know, lack of opportunity. If you're not academic, you know, what are your chances of success? And the internet makes success feel so close by like it's right there it's in it's in reach mm. um and so you know this real frustration comes about when you say you're scrolling through videos and you know you can't understand why you don't have that mm. and so then you begin to try and adopt the personality of people who do have that and that is wrong right we know that because mm. you shouldn't be like anyone else you should be driven by principle exactly and you know, you're you're chasing something. It's a simulation. You know, it's a simulation. I, I mean, yeah. It's. I think you're. 
that I think is and it was actually a discussion I was having with someone the other day it's like how do you define success what is your metric exactly and mm. I think many of them have made uh, money number one uh, a metric but I think now more more than ever I think because of social media it's lifestyle yeah lifestyle has become a bit of a metric and it's are you being seen at the right places? Are you being seen, you know, on the, for example, you know, like the idea of a private jet now. Yeah. You know, like yeah. it's it's, a, it's this sort of common thing and it's like, why aren't you on one? Yeah. Mm. You know, and why it's like, you know, for most people actually just struggling, they're just struggling to actually get on to, you know, a normal sort of budget airline to do their sort of annual holiday. Yeah, of mm. course. But then you're being shoved it into your face that, you know, like this is how you should be living your life. And it's that kind of, there's a there's a very funny sort of um, thing that I follow. Um, it's like the Instagram, rea- was it Instagram live versus reality? Right, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like, it it's sort of great. shows, it sort of shows something, you know, like the picture that people are posting and the sort of thing. But then they show the reality of somebody, you know, going there with their normal phone. Yeah, <laughs> actually, yeah. you know, it's a completely different thing. But we're, we're, we're all almost... Um, and we've seen this uh, a lot. I think you've seen, you know, like these, even, you know, even from uh, not just the masculine side, but, you know, like even from women, I think that they, they, they really are struggling with, uh, you know, the, the social media aspect uh, and the Demise. kind of life that it's trying to sort of sell yeah. you. And the fact that if you can't achieve that, you know, there's something wrong with you that you. And I think that's where I, I, I have a I have a real problem with this, you know, with this new age of. Um, you know, talking heads. Yep, is that they almost sell you off as a failure for not having to achieve that. However, my principles might be very different. Um, as you said, it's about principles. Um, yep. But having said that, if I'm being very honest with myself, there was probably a time in my life where I would probably judge myself along those same metrics. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and and that's why it's so important for those principles to be there being exercised by people right like around you because you know jordan peterson for example i've read his book you know uh, 12 rules of life or something Mm. like that and you know if you read the book the the things he's saying in there are being said to you by your parents and the people who love (laughs) you every day right like clean your room you know start your day with strength you Mm. know these kind of basic so why is it you know you're ecstatic to hear it from a psychologist on social media but you know if your mum comes up to you and says clean your room you're just like get out of my face so you know it's about just being really clear in your head about where are those principles and Zizha, can I just stop from? you there I'd love I'd love to see you say that to your mum yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> knowing your mum no, 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 I don't no, think you're no, about no, to say yeah, that no, no, never I'm like, I, uh, I, yeah, I definitely didn't need Peterson's book so yeah my room's always been super <laughs> yeah. good, uh, just for the record yeah, yeah. and you know it's and, and so that's it you know and uh, you know, I, I, I've uh, itch, I think I've spoken about this on the show before. Mm. You know, for me, Ijtimaa was such an important part of growing up. And, you know, sometimes I used to really resent going. I didn't want to go stay in a tent, mm. you know, for yeah, three yeah, nights yeah. So in a it, freezing it, cold. Ijtimaa for our listeners is a uh, youth conference uh, <laughs> that, you know, where people gather for academic or sporting events and, and just to listen to speeches and, yeah, and just grow spiritually and, and, and that bond of brotherhood. But yeah, continue. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, and you know, um, you know, I used to say to my friends, I'm going to like uh, a religious youth conference, but, you know, there were aspects of religion, but there was so many life lessons in there. You know, I, it, we saw people become athletic, 
you know, become make names for themselves in certain sports. We saw, you know, people give really great speeches in areas of academia. And, you know, of course, we read Namaz and we listened to speeches about Islam and Ahmadiyyat as well. Mm. But it was, you know, it was a package of lessons of life, you know. And there was, you, you were kind of taught the principles and then you were told to go away and, you know, work with that. Um, whereas now everything is super prescriptive. You know, if you if you want, you know, if you want the Bugatti, you must act in this hyper masculine mm, way kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, it's just really. I, I think identity is a strong word when, when you talk about role models and these sort of things. I think what we're fighting against now, like you said, um, you went somewhere, you know, somewhere where, you know, friends, family, people were going together. And that was expected. You know, that that's what, you know, the people above me did and what have you. So it's, all right, we'll go along with that and we'll do that now. And you pick up good principles you know you were having uh you know the leader of the community would address uh, you know the youth of the time and and he would say things which would inspire you which would guide you along those principles absolutely of base in islam you know and it and it can be anything you know I, I think obviously the key thing is worship and what does worship do is you know the concept of worship is you're bowing down right so you're lowering yourself you're at the lowest point you can be as a human being almost in terms of physical when you bow your head on, on a prayer mat and i think that concept there's two concepts there which i think have changed is benevolence has gone out the window because uh, it's seen as a term of weakness why would you need to be benevolent? you need to be strong hmm. and then the second point is this identity concept like when you belong to a community and that's why i think even football fans are so passionate about their clubs because they feel they belong to that group yeah and you can do the same within your faith and within your communities but I think now people say, actually, I don't want to be a, sh a sheep, as they may think it is. It may be something good that's teaching you a good way and for you to follow. It's a great but there's point. so much emphasis on being an individual. And we talked about being yourself. I agree, be yourself. But I think sometimes there's a want to just break away from the norm, even if the norm is a good guide. And that's but actually, yeah, I mean, 100%. you say that you say that about being a sheep. I mean, essentially, like all of these people are almost creating a new sort of sheep class right yeah, <laughs> because yeah. you then have to follow them because by not following yeah. them you are then deemed as uh, either weak and again you know like I, I, I really I think there is a problem I, I think there is a general problem in society now that everything becomes too binary you're either yeah. with something or you're not mm. right and um, you can easily sort of say that you know there are aspects there are elements of you know like that kind of masculinity that concept of masculinity that you can sort of say, yeah, all right, I agree with that. You know, like there is a role of a of a man um, to do certain uh, things. There's a role of a woman that you know, like they are biologically they have differences which are which are going to sort of make them more capable of doing some things over the other. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. There's no denying that that something that you know like that we that that uh, that, that is fair and thing and we we push in that direction. I think the problem then becomes is if you're not acting in a certain way and you know like if you're not mm. acting in a hyper masculine way yeah that's the part where I sort of find it's 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 a thing so and, top. and that's the bit that we I think that's the part that we we do look for people um, for guidance right you sort of see who is like like you said you know you go to the uh, the Ishtama the youth event and you do, you find people that you actually sort of see, actually, I like that person because he inculcates everything that I want to be. Like, you know, like he's got that sort of side of him where, you know, he's 
you know, he's, he, he comes across as a leader or what have you, you know, like all of those sort of, but he does it in a much more, you know, it, it's, it's in a way that you, you sort of, you feel warm towards that person. Yeah. Mm. It's not visceral. It's not like, you know, like it's not a kind of, I'm this, you know, yeah. Uh, this is me and I'm driving around in a Bugatti or I'm yeah. doing this and I'm flying off to things. There's actually a lot of, there's humility mm. in, you know, good leadership as Absolutely. well. Yeah. You know, and I think that that's something that we do pick up from, um, uh, from these kind of events, then you know you you, you you will meet, and you do get it within your families, and think you will see people that you actually think you know I like that person because he's got these you know like these traits yeah um, uh, about them yeah, the way they carry themselves that that's yeah. where exactly. that warmness I think or you know that you want to identify with that yeah. you know and uh, but yeah you're right I think you get caught up in this whole concept of hyper. Yeah, you know, going yeah, above yeah, and yeah. beyond. But then I asked that question, and look, it's not an easy topic to, mm. to touch upon, but, um, you know, because I don't know the ins and outs of it, mm. and I think we have to be careful about uh, people's sensitivities, especially in this day and age. But mm. I think with the rise of, you know, you give a lot of um, airtime and just general watchfulness about what people say about the whole LGBTQ yeah, yeah, community. Yeah. Yeah, now, yeah. is this a reaction to that? Because people are like, well, if you're going to give um, you know, a certain openness about society on that realm, why then can we not react to that? Maybe that's why some of this extreme masculinity is kind of push back towards that and I'm not saying it's right by no, any no, concept no and I think that's we treat people yeah, equally and fairly you're absolutely right and I think it's it's become a counter and mm. um, when I think that the reality is that there is a middle ground that one can yeah. accept you know you can accept that people have differences of opinion sure. they have a different you know like they, they're um not chosen, but they, you know, like they, they wish to sort of carry out their life in a certain way. Yeah, no, you I can, could be choosing can, concept of religion. Absolutely, could be choosing different concepts, but you accept it, right? You, yeah, because we live in a you society. You don't have to agree with yeah, it, yeah. but you can accept that yeah, yeah. people have differences. Exactly, and um, I think what's happened is that you're. I think this is this is entirely correct. What what happens is is that you get this extreme pushback. Um, when actually a lot of the times it's not an it's not a case for having to be extreme about your pushback. Yeah. And I would say that actually on both sides sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, like that you don't need to either have to say that, you know, you're either with me or you're not. And I think we've sure. we've really got into this sort of uh mode now. And yeah. I, I see it I see it on social media. I, I you know like on platforms like Twitter, for example. Yeah. Yep. It's very difficult to have nuanced conversations sometimes. It becomes a very like you're either with me or you're not. Yeah. And if you're not, you are, you know, it's, uh, there's this there's this uh, concept that you know you're only seven tweets away from being called a Nazi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because mm, because essentially that's where it sort of ends up. It's either you know like, and I think that's something that we have to be very very careful about. You know, like we have to be very careful about what the expectations are set on thing and the fact that we can differ. We can differ. But we can still live amongst each other in peace and harmony, you know. Yeah. Like, and mm -hmm. um, and I think that's uh, that's the sort of keep. It. You look at the Holy Prophet Sallallahu life, right? Yeah, I mean, in this, in, in his, in his uh, time, I think you know, people were tribal. You know, like you had something. You know, like the, 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 it was in a society where, under any aspect, 
you have even the smallest of disagreements yeah that was a that was reason for war yeah. <laughs> <You know>? yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. that was you know they they would uh, there was no sort of holding back yeah you know true. you and me sort of have a difference about you know political agendas or whatever yeah 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 <laughs> we, 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 you'll go back to tiktok you'll go <laughs> yeah, back to youtube yeah, yeah, and that'll be yeah, that yeah, but yeah. they were ready to go to yeah, war yeah <laughs> and so you know and then you look at sort of that concept he moved into and especially around Medina after his migration when they actually made him the the leader yeah right and he was the leader of all different types mm. of factions you know the Jews the Christians the Mus- Muslims and you know the, even the Bedouin tribes and you know they all came to him because you know like he he had a concept of being you know like being fair with everyone yeah and sort of understanding that everyone had a different viewpoint and you try and meet that viewpoint in a fair and you know that's why you know he was seen as the great judge yeah uh, of that time yep. you know like people went to him for all sorts of problems and he would resolve them in a fair and equitable way nowadays we're sort of beginning to lose that yeah. you know we are beginning to lose to have the nuance of understanding and the empathy uh, towards other people and it seems to almost just be fair just to sort of say you're wrong that's it you yeah. know um mm. uh, uh, but yeah you know we're not we're not we're not brave enough to ha- go out all war but yeah, <laughs> like, yeah that's but, the thing. but but we like to have these sort of war of words which actually i i have to say you know like on the large part they start descending into sort of very toxic. almost toxic yeah. and obscene language absolutely agree yeah because again that's what you want to do to get your point across but just touching on that point when i looked at Examples and obviously for us in Islam, the Holy Prophet is the perfect example. Of, and I was when I looked at the concept, I was like, why? What is relevant from a person's character and, and that person in particular, the Holy Prophet? And I wanted to read around. Um, I read a um, a speech uh, which quoted something outside of um, actually someone who's from Islam. So uh, there was another writer, Dr. Gustav Will, in his book History of Islamic Peoples. He wrote this about the Holy Prophet, a peace be upon him, that Muhammad, uh, as he quotes, was a shining example to his people. His character was pure and stainless. His house, his dress, his food, they were characterized by a rare simplicity. So unpretentious was he that he received from his companions no special mark of reverence, nor would he accept any service from his slave, which he could do for himself. He was accessible at all time, all and at all times. He visited the sick and he was full of sympathy for all. Unlimited was his benevolence and generosity, as also was his anxious care for the welfare of the community. I think that is the difference. Those words, empathy and benevolence, are weakness in today's day and age. You know, I I like some of the concepts of leadership that I come across. Yeah. Um, Kobe Bryant is is one of those. And I've listened to a lot of his speeches. Why? Perhaps because he's passed away. Yeah. Now, some of the attitude, I think, is relentless. The way this guy worked out. I mean, uh, just an example. He's up at four in the morning, trains, breakfast with the family, trains again. You know, he was doing stuff where he was talking about getting away from his competitors, where in in 10 years' time, he's created so much gap, they weren't going to catch him, whatever they did. Yeah. And... Those sort of things, you can pick and choose parts, I think, of, of people. Um, but then it doesn't mean you have to take that whole concept, like so I said, in entirety, that you buy into everything they say. Yeah. But I think that's the danger point as well when you talk about these Tates and these types of people. It's unfortunate because they spout so much. Yeah. If I say 100 things, two of those may resonate with someone and yep. they may make sense. Yeah. It's the other 98, which are... 
padding around and maybe nonsense. Yep. And then some people will hang on to those. And oh, no, that point was really good. So yep. I accept the rest of it. Yeah. I think that's 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 also and a worry. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, look, it, it goes back to me for value creation in society, right? So, like, I think when I was discussing this with other people and, you know, Andrew Tate, for example, he was selling courses and, you know, he was saying, mm. you know, go on the internet, post these videos, you can do this to make money, etc., etc. And, you know, what worried me was that there's probably an entire generation of kids out there who think that um, posting social media videos in the interest of making money is productive and that couldn't be further from the truth right like the like productivity are the kind of nerdy people who drive a toyota and you know are achieving amazing things in boardrooms and offices Mm. you know that that is productivity Mm. not you know sitting at home and you know coming up with ways to get people to view your video, <laughs> right? So th- that it's, it's, there's such a huge contrast. Mm. But that's their, they sell to the public. The public has to buy. Why are we as a public accepting, not forget Tate and all the, even people like Logan Paul and what have you, they are famous for nothing. Yeah. As in, they don't have a skill as such. They, they now are creating boxing contests. Yeah. They're not professionals. Like they may train up to become one, but... That's the thing. It's that, a jack of all where trades. I'm getting yeah, lost. absolutely. And and so you're you're so you're, it's such a great point, right? Because it's similar to like Jordan Peterson, where if you did need genuine psychological help, you wouldn't watch Jordan Peterson. You'd go and see a, a psychologist. Sure. We're not kind of respecting uh, the professions. The, yeah, the professions like we mm. used to, right? That's all kind of gone now. And it's mm. like, oh, actually, if I listen to this guy on TikTok about economics, then that's my view. Right, like that's the people are adopting the views that they're listening to. So, is it that we want to sound smart but don't do the reading? Pick it up in two minutes, spout it as your own, and you carry on. It, yeah, it, and you can make money from that as well. <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, and it's an easy sell at the moment because everything is like, like you said, it's the social media generation, right? It's, mm. um, it's everything is got to be bite-sized, quick, and um, basically edible in yeah. uh, you know in in a short space of time. Um, and as long as you keep because it is really it's about entertainment right a lot of these guys I think you know when you sort of look at uh, some of the some some of the characters that you uh, that you think they actually do better out the entertainment aspect of what they say yeah it's not so much that you know what I'm saying is correct it's that I'm entertaining people they Mm. love the fact that people then pick up then you know like someone like yourself or myself will either say yes or no you know like then we would have our own discussion points mm. you know because they love that that's what they that's what they're feeding off um, engagement yeah. their engagement and it will be quick it has to be quick and it has to be sharp um when the reality is you know you, you look at again i go back and I, I can't sort of stress this enough you look at the life of the holy prophet وسلم, you look at him as the perfect example mm. look at the way he treated his uh, his uh, uh his 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 wives mm. uh, look at the way he treated you know women around him mm. you know for example there, there is this whole concept i think about being male is the fact that it's sometimes it's not so much about i'm male it's i'm not a woman you know, like when they talk about the masculine, sort of this toxic masculinity, yeah. I'm not a woman. So hence, I won't do the dishes. I won't do this. I mm. won't do this. It's sort of, you know, like it garners this. Uh, I won't do anything that might in any way 
give the impression that I'm effeminate in any way and they mm. really push that sort of side you know don't do this if you do this your you know like your wife will or yeah. your girlfriend or your this will take uh, you know will take advantage of that they're all constructs it's all constructs yeah. exactly mm. and so, and so that's why i think and you know again you look at the life of the holy prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was like the best of you is the one that treats his women the best you know he used to stitch mm. his own shoes he used to do his own uh, thing he used to look after the children mm. you know he he made a point of that his family were you know at the forefront that it w- were his priority yeah. mm. so you know those are the kind of that's the example that we should be taking right quite frankly you know yeah. no i agree and i think that's where when you talk about work and again just going back to that we talked about the holy prophet we talked about his holiness uh, you know his examples we've talked about sports stars and what have you and i think where people put the work in you respect it right mm. uh, and that's where you see a little bit more concepts uh, just driving mm. back to Kobe Bryant father of three three daughters mm. he said I'm a you know I'm a girl dad you mm. know that concept he championed that concept mm. and it was, it was like okay you've done amazing in your career and you're expanding that more to life okay I'll listen but these types of people unfortunately because they haven't had a craft as such and th- their only way of uh, you know, getting views is sensationalizing themselves in their comments mm. and polarizing people and tapping into perhaps the weakness or the the lower depths of humanity where perhaps yeah. you have those dark feelings, but you'd never voice them. But you look at someone and say, oh, he's voiced it. No, I'm with him. Yeah, exactly. That, I think, is where the danger yeah, comes. Mr. Mr. Masuri, in a recent uh, speech, also spoke about this. You know, mm. like he spoke about the uh, he spoke about how you should treat one. Um, women and he also mentioned that you know and it very rightly i think mentioned that those people that are these kind of hyper masculine you know like the they're sort of they will be the first that will engage in you know like um in abuse mm-hmm. um they are the types of people that are more violent you know like more prone to violence sure so you know there, there is a there is a correlation there a lot of the time and it's 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 often that you hear that you know the same people that are voicing these kind of uh things have those characteristics mm. and i think you know that again one one shouldn't one should be very aware of that um and one should be very aware of uh being too influenced um yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, by people like I mean, I agree. holiness even touched on the concept of um the veil and wearing yes. the hijab recently and the comments that he made about the men was that Look, that's a concept that that god has sent down and that's for the woman uh, women to take on board but it's not for the men to you know, put it on, mm. on 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 the women that that's your job. That your job is to you know put that head cover on them, and not just women within your realm or your community or family, but you know in the wider community. And he goes, that's not your position. Yeah. Mm. Well, it's it's good. Obviously, as we spoke about that, because mm. obviously what's going on in Iran at the moment. Yes. Um, so that's really yes. pertinent. Yeah. Um. I I actually found an extract from a book uh, ri- written by Nasir Mahmoud Malik, who is the national Derbyat secretary in the USA. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to read this extract mm, because sure I think it sums up everything we've spoken about really well. It's, it, it should take about three minutes, slightly long, but um, I think it's really, really important. So mm. um, he says, the, uh, with regards to company of the truthful, we should watch the company our children keep. The Holy Quran teaches us, be with the truthful. Here again, if we as parents are truthful and keep company with the truthful, our children will naturally follow. It is said that a man is known by the company he keeps. In the past, it meant the physical company. Today, however, it is also the virtual company we keep. With the advent of the ubiquitous electronic gadgets, the temptation 
is to mindlessly spend more time in the virtual company than some time in the purposeful physical company. We can waste our free time on TV, DVDs, iPods, MySpace, YouTube, and chat rooms, or invest our precious time in the remembrance of Allah, the mosque, purposeful readings, meaningful discussions, watching him TA, and getting to know the truthful. Unfortunately, we have the propensity to take the easy way out. Most of us have relatively easy access to this irresistible virtual world, but it is insane and a slippery slope. On the other hand, the company of the truthful, the pursuit of some larger-than-life goal, seem difficult and boring. It is a struggle and requires high resolve and serious forethought. While modern technology is wonderful and unavoidable, it is the end to which we employ it that is of the essence. It can provide easy and affordable access to the company of the truthful. So the key word is balance. Till we can instinctively embrace the company of the truthful, the least we should do is be highly selective and strike a balance between the mundane and the sublime. To motivate, uh, to motivate ourselves for this difficult choice, we need to take a hard look at the long-term consequences of our preferences and priorities. Would our choices result in fantasies, frustrations and desperation, or would they result in ambition, exuberance and satisfaction? What behaviour would our choices drive in our children? Another way to make the right choice is to ask, would I do this if my parents or others were watching? If we become truthful, be in the company of the truthful, and buy what we need rather than whatever is available or affordable, we, we will be able to influence our children to be truthful, keep company with the truthful, and make proper use of the modern technology. So I, I think it's a really great extract on kind of um, how to balance the two and what tech, you know, what technology can drive in a human being in the absence of physical presence. Excellent. Yeah, no, very. I think that summarizes quite a lot. And it, the, I think that the take on from that is it's yeah, how you use those different things and, and the balance you use them in. I think that's that's hyper important. Um, absolutely. Um, just one caller who had actually sent a message in having listened to the show uh he said um conscious that the gen x might be listening to this we need to consider our progeny and how we can deter them from looking up uh to these social media personalities i think he makes a valid point because i think a lot of the time and mm. you've got young children you know if you've had a long day and what have you what's the first thing you do here's an ipad <laughs> watch what you want doing on right youtube yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but my point is then you know they're going to follow what they like and they're interested they do yeah i mean yeah you i mean i mean obviously my children are quite young at the moment mm. so i have a lot more control as to sort of you know like the um the content mm. uh, that they're you know that they're exposed to um and i would probably want to keep that up um I think uh, I think it's something that Zishan uh, you touched upon at the very beginning about having role models ar around them. Mm. I think one of my major things, and I think, is it's ensuring that the role models that they have around them, or the people that they w are most capable to look up to, mm. um, are are those that I would um, whose values I I very much uh, would uh, would agree with. Um, mm. And that's I think that's one of the main things. Yeah, right? I think number one, the institute of uh, of our faith, of our religion, uh, ensures that um, the people that he should be exposed to within that will be teaching him uh, the right things uh, mm. on that. 
Uh, I think within family, again, you know, the people that are in family, the people that, again, he's exposed to, that will always be sort of giving him good guidance. Mm. Um, and also his friends. And uh, so, you know, sorry, I make a more mention towards the, the male side just because that's what we've been uh, talking about. Yeah. Um, uh, so, so from my boy's perspective, mm. I would say that that would be quite an important thing. But it is something that I do think about often. I, I mean, I think... Um, for a large part, they do have to, um, they have to come up with their own, you know, with with, with their with their own understanding of morality themselves. They have to reach that uh, point, and I hope that the people around them would would, would give them uh, would give them. It's a, it's a, look, it's a, it's very difficult, you know, because um, we we do live in a society with, with, which is there's a lot of dichotomy. There's a lot of mm. you know there there are times where you have to. Um, Ensure that your your you know like your your personal views are, are are understood, and there's a reason why we are the way we are. There is there's a reason why we do the things that we we do, and the way that we do them, um, and it is all for the benefit um, of of humankind, you know. Um, but that's I think that's the main sort of try. You know, it's, it's that concept of sort of ensuring that they have the empathy um, of you know what other people are going through, and just being able to be. Uh, open to, uh, uh, to to be very solid in in, in in you know in their thought process and um, not be not be too easily led. I think that's the I think that's the main thing. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like it's sort of being easily led by by these characters because there's some things that that, that are very you could say that uh, uh, very attractive with what they're sort of trying to sell. Sometimes you know, well, if of you course, look at when you look at the glitz that goes along with it and the spoils of absolutely spoils of their uh, you know uh, trade or whatever yeah. they, the, the concept they do but yeah you can achieve this if you follow my attitude yeah and i think that's a difference like what you talked about you know you know faith those different things i think you're allowed like you said you want them to arrive at a mm. place where they've learned it themselves where i think what differs between this kind of social media side is this is what we are mm. follow us in yeah, entirety yeah. you know it's yeah. like subscribe to the view yeah, yeah. be this and follow like this mm. um, and Zishan we were talking off air about it um, there's there's a very good film which kind of covers this yeah. um, topic which was called The Reluctant Fundamentalist which yeah. was armoured is yeah, it yeah. and he highlights the concept because I went into watching I went into the film and I saw it's going to be okay a bit of, bit of anti-West you know and then just perhaps showing you know what you know terrorism is about and what have you and this actually just held up two beacons that consumer corporate and fundamentalism terrorism both had the same things they just wanted to tap into a youth in a way that said it's based on the fundamentals and then just follow us mm -hmm. as an army mm -hmm. doesn't matter what the end goal was yeah, one was yeah. economic the other was terrorism but the concept was the same mm -hmm. and i think that's the 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 risk factor nowadays is that you're pushing people towards such a stereotype way of of being in their terms masculine mm. and just following that in entirety and i think where uh, what you're talking about in faith in particular it allows you to find your own space yeah, you yeah. know and to grow and find your own values within that you know and we all have our our trip ups we may make mistakes mm. and what have you but you like to learn from those mistakes and continue and, and find your own identity yeah and i think the faith allows you to do that yeah, yeah. no i there's a it's funny, we just is a very funny little thing that i was saying to my 5 year old he's he's a, he's a football nut you know like he loves football he's like sort of right uh, and we were talking about and i said what do you want to be when you grow up and he was obviously you know i want to be a footballer 
I said, why do you want to be a footballer? And uh, he said, because I want to be good at football, you know, and I want to, he goes, I want to play football all the time. And um, the, some of the older kids, we were saying, and I remember asking them sort of from my older thing, like, why do you want to be a footballer? Mm. It's because I want to drive a big car. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I want the big, I thought, you know, and it's, it's exactly that. And I said to my five-year-old at the time, I said it as in, in a joke. I said, as long as you're just playing football because you want to play football, not because you want the car, yeah. I'm happy. And I think that kind of comes back to what it is, you know, mm. like in terms of how we lead our lives. Be good at what you do. Be good at, you know, like your success will come naturally and mm. treat your success. But don't chase the success. Don't chase the glitz mm. and all of that. And if you're not doing that, the high, a whole idea of being a masculine for being the sake, you know, like being masculine for the sake of being able to be successful. Yeah. Again, what's your metric for success? Yeah. You know, and um, that's what I mean. I, I think it's, it's a little bit more on that. You know, like I think we all need to sort of concentrate on what the underlying... I, th uh, I don't think aiming for success is a bad thing as well. I, no. I, I wouldn't quell that. Not to say but what that. I'm saying is, well, again, what I'm saying is, what is your metric for success? Yes. Is your metric for success, you know, like if it's just money, if it's just thing, hmm. then I think the problem then becomes is you're never going to be good at anything. You're just going to sell what you think is sellable. Mm. I think big, if you're good at what you do and you know, if you do, if you take your time and effort and energy in sort of perfecting your trade, mm. your thing, you ultimately, your success will come, you know, mm. like that, that's yes. sort of, and you'll, you'll enjoy it. Yeah. So again, success becomes a metric of, you know, you know, do I have a billion pounds or do I have a hundred thousand pounds? It's all the same because I enjoy what I do. My mm. success is the fact that I'm thing, you know. So, yes, yeah. one can chase one can chase whatever they wish. Mm. You know, everyone has the right to do that. Yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. You know, I think I think the 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 issue then becomes is you know is it if I want the if I want the uh, jet the car and the nice watch and all of that the whole lifestyle, then there's a there's a big possibility that I'm going to give up some principles to attain that. Yeah. Whereas if I just want to be a good footballer and you know you're playing for <laughs> you know this is what I mean. It's like if you're just playing because you just love playing, that's your success. Yeah. You know yeah. that in itself is your success. I agree. And and I I want to end it on this as well that the the role models that you're seeing on the internet, you know, they're not in the business of really making you better people or making you money they're in the business of making themselves money mm. you know and a lot of them their backgrounds are fraud or nefarious things mm. um, so you know just keep that in mind is if you are listening to somebody online what is their motivation you mm. know and what is their kind of intention to engage with you and analyze that before you listen to them yeah i think that's a, that's that's a very very good mm. point because again we don't sometimes in this in this society that we live in you know this two minute attention span that we have we'll just listen to someone you'll see a face you'll see a little bit of background music not, not a bad track I'll listen to that and you hear the voice mm. they sound powerful set against the background go with that that yeah. sounds good I can repeat that when I'm out with my mates it sounds kind of mm. you know like it's got a bit of depth to it you know and, I, and I've looked at it you know, I've got a bit of a different view but you're right when you look behind it and see where that person perhaps has come from the motivation I think that's a very valid point mm. yeah. very valid point absolutely but uh, yeah, no, I think I think that was that was a good topic, uh, Z. I think um, we, <laughs> controversial, but yeah. yeah, no, I think but I think it's a good topic to attack, you know, and, and discuss these days because that's something that you know, obviously the person who who messaged in on the show is concerned for mm. his children, you know, for his progeny and and you know for his generations going forward. Yeah, we do. I mean, we see it see it more and more, and I think it's something that we do need to keep a control over because it's something that probably our generation has missed to a slight degree because mm. you know we didn't have it as much, and I think the next generation it's it's much more. They get bombarded with this stuff as well. It's yeah. not you know it's not like it's a not slow 
sort of seep in. It's it's like a constant bombardment with this information, mm. which um, which does force them into it. So yeah, you have to. I mean, we do have to be incredibly careful. I think you know that is why we have been told time and time again by. Uh, by the Khalifa um, of the time um, that this is something that we need to be aware of, be very, very careful of. Um, and I think, I think that's, uh, and I, I, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think it was a, it's a good topic that you brought up, Z, today. I think it was a very important one. Um, and I think one that um, is going to become more and more prevalent um, uh, as we go forward. And how definitely. do we recalibrate ourselves? How do we you know, pull ourselves back to earth, so to speak, right? And that, I think, that concept of, you know, people have this thing where they want to detox, so they'll mm. put their phone away, you yeah. know. I don't know the uneasiness someone must feel thinking that, oh, am I missing something? Mm. But it must be hard to let that go. But I think that's where that concept of prayer and regular absolutely. prayer comes into You're it, where right. within your um, day-to-day routine, whatever pressure yeah, Unplug yourself. Be, yeah. Unplug yeah. yourself, yeah. bow, become... Yeah. You know, lo- lower lower yourself. Mm. You know, and put yourself uh, your self importance away mm. for a little while. Your self importance in terms of your career, your job, whatever role it might be, and turn to the Almighty and say, "Look, you know, again, I'm I'm turning to you because it's you. It's yeah, not yeah, yeah. me. I'm here to do my best, and I ask for your guidance and your help in making ease." Much of, of this stuff is about control, right? Controlling a uh, thing, and then actually, that's your right. Unplugging and actually re- recognizing, realizing yeah. that you are ultimately um, uh, you require God. God is the ultimate decider, right? Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't have control over everything, and it's and it's good to recognize that yeah. um, uh, from time to time. I think that's uh, a good discussion point. Uh, if you do have any views on the show, uh, please feel free to contact us. Um, you can on our Twitter handle at Voice of Islam UK or via the website www.voiceofislam.co.uk if you want us to do more of these shows or if you want to dial in on a future episode feel free we'd love to hear from the generation we're targeting Jazakallah for joining us